Thursday morning UK time. We're just about uh, ready to start the Australian Grand Prix weekend with first practice coming up later on tonight. And we are joined from Melbourne by uh, virtual statman himself, Mr. Sean Kelly. Welcome along, Sean. Good morning, Sean. Good evening, everybody back there in the UK <laughs> and the rest of the colonies. So it's, what is it? It's 27 minutes past 10 hour time. What time is it where you are? It is coming up to half past nine in the evening here in Melbourne. So there we go, eleven hours ahead. Yeah. yeah, if you want to know, if you want to know the football scores or you know, racing results, <laughs> I've got them all. Yeah, I've got a bet on at Cheltenham this afternoon. If you can just sort of pass that on to us after the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, I, I already know what happens. <laughs> so um, I'm guessing on a serious point, um, Melbourne is fairly subdued at the moment after the sad news last night of uh, Charlie Whiting's passing. Yes, um, we the news was uh, not distributed here until lunchtime, um, probably 12.30, 12.45 this afternoon, was when the story broke um, that Charlie Whiting had passed away. Um, and it was, yeah, it's, it's been, it's massively changed the mood. It was, it, you know, everybody was upbeat. You know, if anybody's been to the Australian Grand Prix will know it's always... The, it's, it's the most optimistic race of the season because you know everybody's equal. No one's you don't know who's going to be where on the grid. There's, there's all that kind of stuff. The excitement of a new season, and suddenly that story dropped, and the mood just changed in an instant. You know, it, it was um, suddenly it was wow. I mean, that's inconceivable. You know, Charlie was at the track yesterday. Um, he did, uh, you know, he walked the first couple of corners of Sebastian Vettel's track walk with him. And I'm sure, you know, if you look around on the internet on the, the various news stories about this, uh, you'll see the photographs of him with Vettel. But they were taken yesterday. Um, it's just, just same old, same old. You know, it's just as you know of a Formula One Grand Prix, Charlie Whiting will go out, check the track, check everything. And he did all that as normal. And then today, suddenly he's not with us. It's, you know, barely believable. I mean, it's it's left a it's left a massive hole in Formula One itself with everything that he did for the sport, both on the competitive side and uh, the safety as well. And whoever steps up to replace him has some huge shoes to fill. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Charlie was the, the race director since 1997. Uh, he worked at the FIA beginning from 1988. He actually he moved to the FIA after uh, Bernie Ecclestone pulled Brabham out of F1 at the end of 87 for a season. Um, and he's been part of the F1 fabric since, I think, 1977 when he started at Hesketh. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one, he's one of those people, it's, it's inconceivable for him to be not around. Um, he's as much as part of the fabric of the sport as, as, as Bernie himself or, or pretty much anybody. I mean, I, I struggle to think of someone who is a, a greater a recurring character in the soap opera that we know of as being the Formula One World Championship, as Charlie. Uh, he's been there so long, uh, continuously. He hasn't just dipped in and out. He's, he's been a continuous presence. Uh, for more than the last two decades as the race director, you know, the drivers know him and respect him. Teams know him and respect him. He's always been um, a, a pretty fair um, arbiter of, of disputes and so on. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a very strange feeling on Sunday when – you know, the cars line up on the grid and it's not Charlie up in the starting gantry to, to switch the lights out and send them on their way. Who, who is going to be in the in the starting gantry? Well, that was the main topic of conversation this afternoon. 
um, once the, the initial shock of discussing like why can you can you believe this has happened it was well what 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 do we do about the race who's going to run the race now because we were all here we have you know the show must go on um it, it i was asked you know did i know of somebody um and i said well if they do, if they don't promote from within charlie had been race director since 97 before him it was roger lane not just in the 96 season and before that it was roland brunser rider who i believe is now the race director for the dtm so I thought, well, if they, can, if, if they decide not to promote from within, Roland Brunson rider would be a good guy to stand in temporarily, or Herbie Blash, if he's available. Um, uh, but it seems like the FIA now have decided that they're promoting Michael Massey, who's the deputy race director, to that role. Um, but they haven't nominated a deputy race director, as, uh, uh, as I'm speaking right now. At least they haven't said who it's going to be. The deputy race director is in charge of overseeing the formation lap and the, the first lap of the race because obviously the race director himself is starting the race. So he's not in race control. So they're going to need to dominate or define who's going to do that role. Um, it remains to be seen who it would be. And in recent times, they've actually tried to sort of have some sort of succession with um, Marcin Budkowski. Um, was in that role as deputy, I think he was deputy race director, and uh, Laurent Mekis, and both of them moved on. Uh, Bukowski went to Renault, Mekis is at Ferrari. So they've had trouble, they've had a bit of a turnover in that department as it is. Um, so it's a very, uh, it's, I don't want to say it's uncertain in terms of we don't know if there's going to be a race, because the race will, the race will happen. But it is certainly, there's, there's a lot of question marks, because Charlie's role was so uh, ironclad in the sport, you know, because you the concept of him not being there is just not something that even occurred to anybody. Yeah, he did, he did seem like one of those people who um, was there and was there in every department. Um, I wonder, moving forward, if Formula One are actually going to split his role between a number of people. I think that's possible, certainly. Um, it, it, it just it, it remains to be seen how this shakes out. I don't think the FIA will know yet how quite how they're going to proceed um i mean there's still a lot of shock attached to the fact that it's happened at all um and certainly in the middle of a race weekend if you think you know it could have happened this could have happened at any point over the winter and if it was going to happen uh, and they would have had time to think well what will we do for the coming season for it to happen on you know wednesday night of a grand prix when charlie charlie was in the paddock yesterday um, and now suddenly, yeah, they've got to think on their feet. But, but the show will go on, of course. Um, and uh, <laughs> Formula One has, has this callous nature about it in that, we're, you know, while there's this, the shock of the story, there is also not an iota of doubt. Well, we move on. Okay, you know, FP1 happens tomorrow. What are we doing? You know, what, what tires will everybody run? What, you know, what about the point for fast slap? You know, people drift off into different conversations and ends it, it is astonishing, Formula One's nature in that regard. How it it it, it doesn't come to a complete stop. It, it's still, it's, you know, everything keeps on keeping on. I, th I mean, I suppose that that is the very nature of the beast. It it, it has to because it's too big to um, not happen. Mm -hmm. it, it's too close now, isn't it? It's what twelve hours, just over twelve hours until first practice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I actually I tweeted out. Um, just as I was leaving the track, our minute-by-minute uh, -minute schedule for tomorrow. And it says 12 o'clock, uh, Formula 1 free practice one um, to be overseen by Tim Schenken and Charlie Whiting. 
And of course, you know, throughout the weekend, we have the, you know, these are the people who are administering this particular thing that's on the minute by minute. And of course, Charlie's on there with all the track inspections and everything. And it's, it's yeah, we're, we're given those things just as a sort of a, as a guide, you know, so we know exactly what happens. Okay, this, the track is open exactly this minute. So we know this is happening. You know, if you want to go over here, this is happening exactly this minute. Um, yeah, it's become a sort of strange, uh, almost a collector's item now, I guess, of this, this weekend, which would be as much about this story as it will be about what actually happens on the racetrack. And mm. um, I mean, I suppose we, like everyone itself, we have to move on and talk about the upcoming race and uh, in, fact, in fact, the upcoming season. Because it is nearly here. Because we are right on the verge of it. Um, you've been in Melbourne for the last couple of days and um, I think this is, this is your first Grand Prix for a couple of years, isn't it? It's the first time in Melbourne for a few years. Uh, I, haven't been, I haven't been in Melbourne since 2011. I've been cooped up in US television studios. Um, but now I'm now I, I am unleashed again in Down Under. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been, I mean, I've obviously been to a few races since then, but just not in Australia. So how are you, um, how are you finding it this year? Anything, um, anything you've noticed out of the ordinary? Anyone doing anything different with you being our man on the ground? <laughs> um... Hmm. Well, <laughs> I mean, I suppose it, it, those sorts of stories are the what the best ones are the ones you can't tell. But um, <laughs> no, I, I would say it, everything, everything, everything's business as usual. I mean, in in some ways, that exacerbates the the Charlie Whiting news because it just felt like, hey, you know, it's. I think I think one of the things we as fans love about Formula One is the familiarity of it. We know the, if you if you're a real like a hardcore fan. You know, you know the Charlie Whitings of this world. Like that, you don't just know the protagonists on the racetrack. You don't just know the Vettels and Hamiltons of, of the thing. You know the Charlie Whitings, and you know the Bernies, and you know the Chase Careys. You know, you know all those players as well. And it just felt like everything was normal. It was like, yeah, it's another season. You know, it's it's you know, bit of politics, bit of technical stuff, bit of you know, contracts, new races, old races going away. You know, it was all so. It's familiar. That's that's how it felt, and and then it changed a bit this afternoon. But once we get round to Sunday, um, the race is off at four o'clock, I think, on Sunday afternoon here, and yeah, it will just feel like same as it ever was. Four, four o'clock Sunday afternoon, or of course uh, five five a.m. UK time. Oh, that's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> One thing yes. that is uh, different for this year is we've we've talked already about the point for the um, the fastest lap. How how do you see that affecting things? Do you think there's going to be people coming in for later pit stops and putting on a, a, a charge for that fastest lap? Well, I've heard a lot of uh, negativity about the implementation of a point for the fastest lap. It hasn't been part of Formula One since 1959, um, and certainly it, it changes. It changes some of the DNA of the, of how we go about racing now. And I don't think the, I think the naysayers just look at what happened like last season, for instance. Well, they were all all the fast laps were split between the the top three teams. Well, yeah, of course um, they're the fastest guys. But if there had been a point for the fastest lap. It, what would it stop, you know, a Force India or a Haas driver to dive into the pits, take a brand new set of the softest available tyre, and just go absolutely flat out for the final couple of laps to see if they can steal that point away? And I do think there is a possibility that it will change racing. It, it certainly adds 
the possibility of chaos theory. And that's one thing we do, we always crave in Formula One, the notion that we, we want to feel like we don't know what's going to happen. We, we want to be able to not completely predict events as they occur. If that is happening, if there's a point for fastest lap, not only does it change what happens in the latter stages of Sunday's activities, it could even change what happens in the latter stages of Saturday's activities. Because now teams are going to look at you know the the the, the as I say the, the did I say Force India I shouldn't have said that I'm not to say that <laughs> that's a pound in the swear jar I'm going to do that a lot this year um, and I, I have to come back actually I'll go off topic here I had a conversation with David Croft in the paddock today about are Racing Point a new team this weekend or are they were they a new team from the Belgian Grand Prix well the team themselves says it was from the Belgian Grand Prix of last year which I disagree because the car was still called the Force India last season now it's called a Racing Point. This is their Grand Prix debut. I'm sure all most statisticians and forex and people like that will concur on that. But Racing Point seem to want to argue the toss on it. Anyway, um, <laughs> on Saturday now, there's a greater incentive for teams like that who, who can get into Q3, but not necessarily be at the sharp end of the grid. There's a greater incentive now to, take a, to qualify on a harder tyre uh, because you want to save the softer tyre for the end of the race to try and get the bonus point for the fastest lap without having to take another stop to put the, soft tire, you know, the, the softest compound tyre on. So it, there, there's all sorts of possibilities that are opened up by this, this one extra point. And it doesn't seem like a lot of points, but you know there are millions of dollars between positions in the Constructors' Championship. So those points add up to something pretty significant. So I would, I, I, I've seen a rush to judgment on this and say this is just nonsense. It's not going to change anything. But it will change something. And I don't. Th I think some some of the you know the commentators on this issue are a little bit short sighted. Yeah, I've got to admit, I didn't actually consider what it would do to um, to qualify to qualify yeah. an entire strategy. Um, that, does, that doesn't sort of spring to mind because obviously we've seen the way that everything's worked for the last few years, and you've you've had races where drivers have want, just wanted to get the fastest lap. Uh, towards the end of the race, just for something to, to do, really. Just Sometimes, to show isn't it? <laughs> I mean, Chris was all in favour yes. of calling it the Alonso point. <laughs> well, it should be called the Kimi Raikkonen point, of course, because Kimi has nearly fifty fastest laps. He's second on the all-time list. Um, and I actually heard a rumour in the paddock today that this, the story went that the reason why Kimi Raikkonen kept locking up, uh, clocking up fastest laps so readily is because he had some sort of deal in place where he received a, a Rolex watch or, or something like that as a tag for watch um, every time he got a fast lap. So, you know, there'd be something in it for him on a material level just to get the fast lap. Um, so let's see if he can, if that's true, let's see if he can maintain that in an Alfa Romeo um, when there's a point available. Mm. But then again, if it's DHL that are carrying on sponsoring the fastest lap, they'll probably give an award like the um, like a miniature deli delivery lorry or something. I think or a box or a box. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and in it, in it is contained a bonus point. <laughs> <laughs> Got the frame bonus points on the garage wall every race. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the other big story that's um, that's been going around before this race, and I don't know if you've seen anything of it, but how how are things around Williams? Because obviously, late to testing, the whole Paddy Lowe situation. Um, at least, the, at least they've turned up. They've been tweeting photos of all their gear arriving there. Have you seen anything of the atmosphere around the Williams garage? And if so, what's it like? 
I haven't really been around Williams, uh, and part of the reason is because there's a strange setup in the paddock this weekend. Williams are actually kind of detached from all the other teams in the paddock. Normally, they're all you know one after the other as you walk down the paddock. This weekend, um, there's a Heineken, like a almost like a beer lounge, separating Williams at one end of the paddock from all of the other teams. So there's Williams, then there's this Heineken beer lounge. And then there's the other teams. So Williams are sort of fobbed off right down the far end. Where, they're, they're where the pit in, pit entrance is. But the paddock entrance that everybody uses is at the opposite end, it's at the pit exit. So for you to get to Williams, you've got to go past all the other teams and this beer lounge. And then they are, there they are, poked away in the corner. Um, I, I would say that the atmosphere around Williams, but, you know, the atmosphere toward Williams, not, I can't say around Williams because I haven't been around this, but the atmosphere toward Williams is that of people feeling very negative about what's going on there right now. And I don't know if some some people who are listening may have read Peter Windsor's uh, scathing blog article about the current situation. Peter Windsor, of course, who was the team manager at Williams uh, at, at their absolute zenith in 1992 when they swept the board with the FW14B. Um, extremely well connected down the years at Williams. Um, and 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 known, uh, Peter, Peter's known for being the eternal optimist, he'll always take a bad situation and, and look for the, po- the positives to build around. Uh, bless you. <laughs> Thank you. I tried, tried to, yeah. to get as far away from the microphone as I could, but that did not work. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm, I'm, I'm 11,000 miles away from you. I still heard it. Um, Peter, yeah, so Peter Windsor, the eternal optimist, will always find the, always find the, the, the positives to work with. Wrote a scathing piece um, saying that Williams, is, the problem is, 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 is institutional rot. Um, the, the, the team is being run by people who don't know how to run a race team. That they maybe know how to run a business, you know, uh, that's not a race team. But when it comes to racing, they don't get it. Um, and that is where the rot has set in. And he made the comparison with Frederick Vasseur at Saiba, now Alfa Romeo, that um, when he came in there, uh, they were at the back of the field. And, and look at the steps they made last season, um, you know, regularly appearing in Q3, uh, not, not only with Leclerc, but also with Marcus Ericsson, because they had a guy in charge who understood what it was to be a race team. Um, and uh, Peter walked all the way up to saying the name of the current Williams team principal without saying her name, um, but certainly pointed out that Johnny Williams um, who her her brother uh, invested in iSport GP2 team got them got them uh, into GP2 to, you know they were race winners they were championship winners with Timo Glock um, so why why wasn't Johnny Williams you know the the anointed successor really to Frank because it, he'd already made a big success in GP2 and that's that's the whole point it's supposed to be a proving ground for F1 so why was that not a thing um yeah, it's 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 very very. It, it's certainly from the out, from the outside looking in at Williams right now, it seems very negative. And the car is not very quick. And if the car was quick, obviously that would take a lot of the heat away. But because the car is not very good, um, and because they seem likely to be cut adrift in a manner akin to Minardi back in the day, there are serious alarm bells ringing. I heard more than one person say to me today that. There is a chance that if Williams, in its current form, will not complete this season. That's how bad it is. Wow, we, um, we knew things were bad, but we what? just didn't realize. You know, we didn't know how bad it could possibly be. There's rumors and yeah, it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't yeah. necessarily. It doesn't necessarily pertain that 
the team will go bankrupt, but perhaps the team will be sold or, or some sort of fundamental change in their circumstance will, will happen. Um, but it's certainly, yeah, it's, I can, I would say it's, it seems as negative towards Williams right now as I can ever remember it being. Yeah, I mean, that, it, it's just, um, I think the only, the only word to describe it is a shame, just how things have ended up in this situation. Yeah, absolutely. If you think of, uh, you know, anybody who's uh, of a certain age thinks of Williams as a dominant team in world championship history, I think they have 100, I think it's 113 Grand Prix victories. Um, but, uh, you know, 100 of them came before up to 1997. They've only had 13 since and they've only scored one um, in the last uh, 14 years. So it's uh, yeah, they're very much... Uh, um, a faded force, unfortunately. They, a lot of comparison has been made between them and the Tyrrell team, who were once upon a time um, ruling the roost in Formula One, winning world championships. And then, you know, by the time Ken Tyrrell sold the team to British American Tobacco, they were at the back of the grid. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's possibly the, uh, the, the nearest comparison there. Um, of course, Johnny Williams, we have to say, he's, he's actually running the Williams Heritage Programme these days. Um, he is. It, as you say, with his success in uh, in GP two with iRacing, it just it just seems like a waste. And unfortunately, that is sometimes the way that family run businesses go. The the wrong one gets put in charge. And of course, yeah, it's, um, it's still got Frank's name on the team, yeah. and he's still technically team principal because Claire is only deputy, even though she is running things day to day at the circuit. Right. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, Johnny Williams' encyclopedic knowledge of Williams' history is well known in the paddock, that he really is meticulous about that stuff and knows the nuances of everything. Um, so certainly, you know, it kind of seems like a bit of a frivolous thing to say, but certainly from a heritage standpoint, he's a great guy to have. But it almost it does seem like a waste. Why is he not on the race team? And at this stage, you have to ask yourself, could he really be any worse uh, you know, you're already last in the championship. You can't be even laster. So, yeah. I don't know. False India managed it last year, technically. One thing I'd like you to look out for this weekend is, are Williams quicker than they were last year? And I think four of the last five rounds last season, something like that, um, Williams' qualifying time was slower than it had been in 2017. That's how bad they were. So, if they're, if everyone else is going quicker and you're going slower, that, I mean that's a major problem. So, if Williams are slower again this year, are you, you know that would be just real. Uh, that would be it'd be less of an embarrassment in terms of they've changed the front wing slightly, but just, yeah, it's just not a good it's just not a good look. Yeah, I mean you've, I suppose you've got, got to look at it as sort of their their qualifying time as a percentage of the. Um, teams in front of them and see how that compares with uh, similar gaps next year because yeah. sort of comparing this year's times with last year's times that's a bit sort of apples and oranges but in purely percentage terms um, as you will know yourself that's where the statistics come into it yeah there were, there were several instances last year that where they were slower expressed as a percentage they were slower than the Manor team were Ooh. in their last season before they went out of business Ooh, so yeah. that's the kind of that's the kind of deficit we're talking Oh, that is horrifying. Um, move up, move up to um, move up to the pointy end. Um, 
I think we're expecting another two-way battle this season between Mercedes and Ferrari. And look, looking at testing, I know you can't take a great deal out of the out of the times in in testing because of the amount of sandbagging that usually goes on. Um, what do you? Th- which team do you think currently holds the advantage? That doesn't count for the full season, but at the moment, going into the first race, because obviously everyone said Ferrari had the better car at the start of last year. Have they done that again this year? Do you think, or is it going to be Mercedes quick out of the blocks? Well, there was a case to be made that Ferrari had the best car throughout last year, but that they threw the championship away, or more specifically, Sebastian Vettel himself threw the championship away by making too many on-track mistakes. Um, in Ferrari won what we colloquially term the Winter World Championship for the fourth year in a row this winter. Um, Pardon me? For, for last, the previous three years, Ferrari have been quickest in pre-season testing, and they've won exactly zero titles in that time. So I would always urge caution when looking at testing data. And I'm often amused by um, how many journalists, properly experienced journalists who go to, who've you know, done a lot of Formula One races in their time, who seem to be changing, you know, their expectations with the, the wind direction. You know, somebody, Ferrari would be ahead and then Mercedes would bang in a time and then it was a case of, oh, well, you know, maybe Mercedes is actually going to do this and, uh, you know, then suddenly Toro Rosso would be quick. It's like, oh, wow, a Toro Rosso going to spring a surprise. Well, no, just stop. You know, it's, <laughs> there's a, there, we're just, there is the age old saying in, in motorsport, when the flag drops, the bullshit stops. And you can't, you can't read too much into all of this. Um, yes, it's very close. And, and, there is a possibility that we'll see a repeat of what we saw here last year, which was Ferrari were in control until Hamilton engaged what we call party mode. And suddenly he was seven tenths up um, to take pole position, which incidentally was the largest margin in a dry, in a dry qualifying session last year. Did Hamilton win the race? No, he d- did not um, because Ferrari outthought them on strategy for the second year in a row. So Ferrari, don't necessarily need to have the fastest car to win the race because they did not have that in Melbourne the last two years, despite being the fastest team in testing. Um, so I, in, in summing up, I would say I am a liar if I can confidently predict to you which one of those two teams will be quicker. Um, what I do think is that um, the situation at Red Bull is extremely positive. Um, there's been no apparent, no major problems uh, assimilating with the Honda partnership. Um, and it all seems very positive. I was speaking to Japanese journalists about it today and, and they seem very happy, a, a little bit down on power, but certainly reliability and so forth. It, it seems very, uh, very optimistic. I mean, that's, that's one thing that we were talking about on, um, on Monday's show, the, um, the improvements in reliability that Honda have made with the engine over the last year when they were with Toro Rosso. And I think that all comes from working with the culture of the Red Bull Sport organisation rather than working with the culture of McLaren. And it, seem, it seems to be a better fit working in that environment. And I'm, look, I'm really looking forward myself to seeing what Red Bull can do with that Honda engine in the back of it. And how, how Danny Ricciardo is going to react at Renault if he ends up having the same reliability problems with the Renault in the works team that he did with the Red Bull last year. Mm. Um, well, it, it's it's um, just to point out the um, Daniel Ricciardo had uh, I forget how I think we had I think he had seven 
seven retirements last year. Um, something, something like that. Well, the second, the second highest driver in retirements was Nico Hulkenberg. So <laughs> it's not really what you want to hear. Um, Although one of them, there one, was an amusing. One of them did leave him hanging like a cow. Yeah, at least two of them yes, were Grosjean's yes. fault. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, and then I'm sure Ericsson was to blame at some point as well. Um, um, but uh, what was I going to say? You made me forget. Oh yes, uh, there was an interesting, interesting moment today when Ricardo went over to the Red Bull hospitality area, which I took a photograph of, um, and he went and said hello to Christian Horner and um, to Helmut Marco. And he was there for a good while, probably 15, 20 minutes. Um, it was an odd situation where you got a Formula One driver in Renault gear sitting at the Red Bull hospitality area talking to the bosses there. Uh, maybe saying to them, hey, um, if you need me next season, I'm just saying, that, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm burning my bridges completely here. Um, but, oh, but you can't move for... The, uh, the black and gold of Renault this weekend. That is, the, that is the hottest ticket if you're in the merchandising stand. And Ricardo actually has a special hat for this weekend, a bank, a green and gold to represent Australia. Um, but everybody, where in the past this was Red Bull country, you know, for, for Ricardo, now it's all turned uh, the yellow of Renault. Uh, that, is the, that is the hottest, the must-have fashion accessory this weekend. As long as he doesn't go full Alonso and bring out a new hat for every race. <laughs> Probably pretty unlikely. I would say that Australian one is pretty is uh, pretty commemorative just for his home race. He has got a new helmet for this season. Have you, have you seen that yet? It's a bit, bit of an odd, a bit of a change, certainly. Yes. It's quite pastel and yeah, I'm not sure what yes. to make of it. Yes, it definitely smacks of someone who lost a bet seriously <laughs> and is doing this as a forfeit because uh, that is one of the, I have to say, one of the worst helmet designs I think I have ever seen <laughs> in Formula 1. Um, really, I, if, if I was him, I would return it and ask for his money back. <laughs> Lost a mountain bike race with Lewis, so Lewis decided the the prize was Lewis got to design his new helmet for him. It fits in with the new Lewis by Tommy collection. Right. Well, or as, or as it has been no. described on this show, dressed in the dark. Yes. <laughs> carry on. <laughs> um. Of course, the other, the other new... Oh, dear, Sean's just showed me a photo of it. That is atrocious. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> um, the, the, um, the other, as we say, new, maybe not new team is, um, is Racing Point. Now, they have been on a bit of a hiring spree recently because now, now they've got the budget to do it. And um, what, what's the general feeling around, um, around them? Because... You know, for, um, fourth place in 2017. If you had all the points together, they would have got fifth place in 2018 from both sides of the team. Um, do they seem, uh, you know, how infinitely more positive are they feeling about this year? Do you, I, have you sort of caught any of that while you've been uh, there or thereabouts? I think uh, right now it's a case of um, just regrouping uh, and the financial problems of last year have had a knock-on effect with this year's car. So it really, this year's car is a hangover from last year. It's, I don't think it's going to be as competitive. It certainly didn't run as well. Um, it was, you know, it was had reliability problems. It didn't complete a lot of laps. I think they were the next worst after Williams in terms of running. And uh, I would expect the early season to be a bit of a struggle. Um, but that's not unusual for the artist formerly known as Force India because <laughs> they were often, they were, they, they, had a tendency early in seasons to be not so 
great. They had a good start in 2014 with Perez on the podium in Bahrain early on. Um, but where they where their strength would lie is in consistency. They would just be consistently fair, you know, fair to Midland and, and, and rack up the points. I, I don't think they'll have that luxury initially this season, but certainly if they have a, a stable budget, um, yeah, they, they could kick on pretty well in the latter half of the season. It'd be, um, it'd, be, it'd be good to see them making a comeback. And of course, this is the year that we get to find out if Lance Stroll is a real driver or not. Well, um, he, might, <laughs> he might be thinking to himself, I was hoping this car was going to be a little bit quicker than it is. Um, but it is interesting. Both both drivers at Racing Point this year were um, out-qualified by their respective teammates over the course of all of the races last season. And both of their teammates are out of F1 right now, Ocon and Sergei Sorokin. Ocon, of course, is now a Mercedes reserve. I saw him in the paddock today. He's been very complimentary about Lance Stroll ever since Lance Stroll effectively took his drive off of him. And I think that this is smart gamesmanship by Ocon, playing the F1 game to the hilt here, knowing that if he can get in the good books with the family Stroll, the moment that Sergio Perez starts causing them problems, they'll start looking over at Ocon and saying, so how did you fancy being back in the race seat? Mm. Mm -hmm. Possibly. And Perez has got a tendency to speak his mind be it for good or bad reasons, and that could cause problems. Well, if you think about it now, you know, if he starts, think about the kind of pillocks, you know, these two idiots running into each other, Ocon and Perez, as they seem to enjoy doing. Imagine if he has that situation with Lance Stroll, because now you're, now you're fighting City Hall. Now, you, now the boss is, is, you know, daddy. So whose side's he going to be on? Um, so if Perez puts himself in the bad books, Ocon's well-placed, you know, you gotta, you, you've always got to be a bit Machiavellian in this sport, and you've got to say he's Ocon's, you know, manoeuvring well right now. Yeah, he, he, do, he does seem to be, be making all the right noises, and you know, I hope it works out for him because I, I do think that he's a genuinely good and fast driver, and mm. you know, give give him the car, and he will definitely shine. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, my personal belief on Perez is I've, I've never I've never believed he was a truly top draw driver I do think he's a very good driver but there's a difference between being a very good driver and a truly great driver um, and it may be that Ocon's not a truly great driver either we haven't conclusively had a chance to really find out yet but um, yeah I, I could see a situation where if Perez starts rocking the boat too much that Ocon ends up back in that drive uh, that'll be um, that'll be an interesting uh, interesting one to keep an eye out for. Um, what else have you seen whilst uh, whilst at the circuit this week? So give, give us a bit of a sort of taste of the atmosphere of uh, of Melbourne this weekend. Um, well, if you've never been to Melbourne, Melbourne's famous in this part of the world for four seasons in one day. You can um, yeah, you can have all sorts of weather all over the course of a few hours. Um, that is not a that's not the case this week. It has been. Uh, today was gloriously sunny. Uh, we're expecting it to be sunny all weekend. Uh, Saturday should be the hottest day of the weekend. Uh, so no problem there. Definitely will look fantastic on television. Maybe it's a shame we're not going to get any wet weather because this is a very difficult track on, to pass on. So a bit of rain wouldn't have done us any harm. Um, as, as regards everything else, um, I mean, it's always one of the best races of the year to attend. You can take the tram 
which you may have heard, you might have heard the, the ringing of the uh, tram bells outside here um, <laughs> in downtown Melbourne as we're talking. Uh, um, yeah, you can take the tram from downtown into the track. It's it's such a it's such a, a an, an up uh, event to go to. You know, some races you just think, what this is not really a lot of fun trying to get in and out of the track. This is a really easy one. Park looks great. Um, there's there's a ton of things to do. I'm always impressed. Um, by how much there is to do at the Australian Grand Prix in terms of, you know, the, the, the usual array of, you know, pit stops and, and, and classic cars and, uh, you know, look, the, the merchandise, blimey. I mean, there's merchandise a go-go. When you go to the, the, the Southern Cross train station here, the, there's merchandise stands for Formula One at, at, the, at the main train station. If you imagine that, that's like, you know, London, Victoria, train station being a formula one merchandise stand it's it's really they they really go they really go out hard and fast with this stuff here um have they, have they still the got the um the shoey beer can cooler holders that they had last year um i haven't seen any um, <laughs> um that doesn't mean that the australians are not willing to improvise of course <laughs> so there could be a few um, a few aftermarket modifications made on that front um, we'll see. I haven't, I haven't seen any in an official capacity. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, there's, 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 there's a ton to do and not only that, but this is one of the, the most packed track schedules of the weekend. Um, it, right from Thursday morning onwards, there's always something happening at the track. Quite often when you go to a formula one race, um, the track, I like to run the racetrack because, you know, firstly, it's a good way to keep fit. And secondly, it's a great way to see the whole track and just have a look at, you know, what's curve, is this curve different to last year? Have they changed this? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and usually you can do that. Like, you know, you'll see the track schedule. Oh, five o'clock, the track's open, which meaning you can go out onto it and run around it. Here, the track's not open until 7.30 and sunset's like 10 minutes later. They The track is just constantly, there's Australian GT, there's Formula 4, there's supercars, there's a Formula 1 pace comparison with a road car. That you know, They're always, always doing something. It's moving, moving, moving. And I'm working on the circuit PA this, this, uh, this weekend, and they're on air from something like 9 a.m. until 7.30 at night because they, they've, you know, it's not, just the, it's not just public address, but they do a TV service here as well, much like at Silverstone. So, um it's yeah it's you definitely get good value for money coming to this race definitely definitely one we'll have to save up and uh, try to get to or, oh yeah uh, I, I highly recommend it it is it's australia if if you've never been to australia i'm sure you've always heard it's, it's, it's such a great place it is such a great place it, it really is it lives up to that to that expectation it is not a place that lets you down it's it's really cool and long flight to get here but once you do get here it is fantastic uh, well, um, really looking for really looking forward to the race this uh, this weekend. Um, I know now not to ask you for any predictions because you're as great as predicting the top three as we are, which is <laughs> usually not fantastic. Yeah. Um, just just one other thing: it wouldn't be it wouldn't be an appearance on three legs, four wheels for you without. And I'm dropping this one in last second because I've been sent a few. Do you fancy doing a who's a total shunt? Oh. Well, it would be remiss not to, wouldn't it? <laughs> right. I will try to help, but I can't promise to be any use at all because I did not know this was coming. <laughs> well, uh, well, hopefully, hopefully it's this week it's not me. And, you, <laughs> and if it is me, you've got the right date of year for my birth. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, get, I'll, give you, I'll give you the first bonus clue. It isn't you. 
Let's see, who shall we have? I've been sent this one. Is it, is it, is it Pierre Carlo Ginzani? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> is that your first guess? This one is. That was my first guess. This one is from Thomas Kramer. So, first clue. I was born in 1972. So, someone hmm. who is 47 this year? Two years younger than me, so yes. Okay, second clue. You'll probably get it on this one, Sean. <laughs> I've won the Marlborough Masters. Uh, Jos Verstappen. Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gone on to say, uh, I've been active in karting since 1980. I am a Le Mans winner. My Formula One debut turned my world around. Um, I brought some new safety measures to F1. My podiums came by luck, you could argue. I had a horrible crash at Spa. I drove an A1 Grand Prix and won a race. I was known for being pretty good in the wet. I drove for Benetton, Simtech, Footwork, Tyrrell, Stewart and Ford. And um, the Spaffer clue, I really helped my son reach Formula One. <laughs> I think two... Sorry, I, did, I, did I ruin it for you? No, two, two is your best one yet, I think. <laughs> Have you got another one? You do, maybe... um, yeah, I can... Uh... I can, do, I can right. do another one. I can get another one yeah. here. Let's is, it, is this a harder one? Have you got something, uh, a level up? Uh, that one's going to be too easy. <laughs> um, let's see. There was one that I was saying. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to save, save that one for uh, special occasions. And I think this counts as a special occasion. <laughs> ah, right. Here we go. Here we go. Um... This is from David, uh, who didn't put his surname on, but his email address is Grey Design, so I'm assuming David Gray, possibly. <laughs> um, oh, David Murray. David Murray says it at the bottom. Right, OK. Uh, first clue. I was born in 1971. So a year older Jack than Jack <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not this time. We, we've done Jack Villeneuve. We did, we did Jack Villeneuve a few months back. Is it David Coulthard? You'll have to find out. I began my <laughs> racing career in karts in the late 1980s. Okay. I've had success racing in DTM and FIA GT. Hmm. Oh, no. Three clues. This, this, is, this is looking good, David. <laughs> Clue four. I won the 24 hours of Nürburgring in 2000. Um, hmm. No, this is definitely is a better one. <laughs> <laughs> My first season in Formula One was in 2001. Um, nay, pause there. Um, who could it have been? That does give us that does these time stamp who we're talking about. So if somebody would have made their debut from one age twenty nine or thirty. Yes, they were born in seventy one. Um, let's see here. Um, was it? Um, oh man! <laughs> the number of there are a number of drivers it could be, but I I, I, I hesitate to just blurt out all of those names. Uh, that's, that's usually just, that's what we do. That's the usual tactic. Just throw out a pile of names and sooner or later you will say something that might be clever. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, is it um, 71, did you say? Yes. Um, uh, I, I think I know what I'm going to guess, but I just want to make sure I'm not, I'm not <laughs> missing someone obvious here. Um, is, it, um, is it Alex Jung? We continue. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I have led more than 700 laps in F1. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> and it's not David Coulthard. <laughs> right, who, who am I forgetting here? This is a good one. <laughs> it's, much better, it's much better than that crap first one you gave me. <laughs> um, hang on a minute. Oh, this is back up here. 2001. Who am I, who am I forgetting about? Um, probably turns out it wasn't 2001 or something, something ridiculous like that. Though. <laughs> uh, all right, carry on. Carry on. Okay. In 2006, I led the most laps in a race that was won by Fernando Alonso. Um. Hmm. I mean, again, again, it's one of those things where I could just guess everybody, but I don't want to do that because that just takes the fun out of it. <laughs> I, 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 I possibly, if I was making a, a clever suggestion, I would be tempted to say the safety car. <laughs> yes, that's yes, that's who it is. Stunned silence. <laughs> yeah, you're right there. The next clue would have been, I am normally seen in a silver car. Shit, did I actually get it yes. right? You did. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> This has never happened before. You, you, got it, you got it right. You got there before Sean. Wow. That's only the second time that it's happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry to there have ruined that one. <laughs> well, you did ruin it. You got it right. That was the whole contest. <laughs> and uh, the other clue was, despite leading so many races, I am often in the slowest car on the track. Yes. Well, I mean, the <laughs> yes, Williams not, not, this year, maybe. Yes, there is that too. Yeah, that was a good one. That was much better than the Austin. <laughs> Because that because requ- that was a that was a lateral thinker you gave us there. That wasn't actually a conventional sense for F1 driver. So that was yeah, that was much more fun. Uh, that was uh, that was a good one. Thank you to Thomas and David for sending those in. And uh, if you want to send in a total shunt yourself, obviously you can uh, send a Twitter direct message to Lee at a total shunt, or as I now need more for the um, for the emergency pile, email them to three legs four wheels at gmail.com. <laughs> And I'll be I'll be able to put them on the reserve list. Um, Sean, massive thank you for uh, for joining us today um, for this extra show. Looking forward to looking forward to a good race this weekend. And obviously, we'll be keeping up with you on Twitter all weekend. And I, t- I assume you will be tweeting during the race. Probably a force of habit as much as anything else. Um, also, I mean, if, if by, by some chance uh, you are at the race this weekend, you'll hear me on the circuit public address system from time to time as well. So, uh, you can, yeah, you'll be chock full of me one way or the other. Um, you know, I'm, I'm entertaining the guests in the pit lane tomorrow night, so my reign of terror continues. <laughs> well, that's that's great, and it's fantastic to speak to you again. So, obviously, we'll keep uh, we'll keep up with you. It's at Virtual Statman on Twitter, and you know how to get hold of the rest of us if you want. At Three Legs Four Wheels, at Pablo One Hundred, um, at Sean Cowper, um, at a Total Shunt, at Flood Twenty One, and at Dan Dankleton. Uh, we'll be around all weekend, and of course, we'll be doing the live qualifying and race blogs at ungodly o'clock Saturday and Sunday. Um, we'll be back next Monday, and we'll have a race review. Once again, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, folks. Anytime. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.